I hope that this summer, as it's going on right now, has been an enjoyable one for you. These uh, days often can provide a break from the usual toil and can also offer some time of reflection on just life and relationships. I found myself in that in recent weeks, sitting down with my wife and saying, uh, you know, honey, are there ways that I could serve you better help? Are there things that you want to get to in life that I could come alongside and relieve some of the the burden for you so that you could fulfill what God has put on your uh, plate? I found myself in our most recent vacation sitting down with the boys and saying, boys, won't you give me some feedback? Are there ways that I can lead this family better? Are there things that I'm doing that is it's not working. <laughs> are, there, are there observations that you have of me where I can steer us in a more clearer area? And that's not only true of taking inventory with my family, but I think it's also true of my relationship with God. If we only have one life, I desire for it to give God his rightful place to be on the throne of my life because he is worthy of that. And honestly, throughout this summer, that's kind of what we are doing as a church family, is we are setting aside the services on Sunday morning and those of Bible studies that have chosen to join us are, and hopefully many of you in your individual studies have been setting aside this summer to seek after God, to not be content with just a daily routine, but seek Him afresh so that we might experience personal, family, and corporate revival. We've been using a resource called Seeking Him with the subtitle, Experiencing the Joy of Personal Revival. And so what I've been doing is preaching, or if someone's filling in for me, they're preaching on a topic. Maybe it's humility or honesty or repentance. And then the week that follows, we're studying that individually and then discussing that in our Bible study groups So this morning, I want to continue with that theme of just a clear, open relationship with God, covering the area of holiness. Now, this series of messages that runs through the summer is not designed for you to to find out how God, you can utilize Him to maximize the most potential of your life. In fact, you're not the object of this series of sermons, but really, God is. And I'm, I'm asking you to seek him and, and be honest with him and where he reveals sin in your life to confess it and repent. And last week we had a, hopefully a very refreshing message about the grace of God that we need not only to be saved, but to then to live our lives. This morning I'm going to invite you to a psalm, Psalm chapter 4, and we're going to read that here in a moment and then... In the minutes that follow, we'll work through that psalm verse by verse. I'm reminded of what Leviticus says and what Jesus spoke to the people. He said, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So our message today is on this topic of holiness. So look with me at Psalm chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me give you a bit of a background Um, You'll see here in in these eight verses that David, the author, is going through some sort of a problem. Uh, Many Bible teachers have said 
either one of two things is happening. If you remember David's life, he is either being pursued by Saul, who at one time was the king, and now David has been anointed to be the next king. So Saul is pursuing him, trying to take his head off so that he will never be able to realize God's destiny for his life to be king. The second possibility of the setting of this passage is another person that's pursuing David after he becomes king, and that is Absalom, actually his son, who through a series of events has made his way to serve as king, and now David is fleeing. So the setting here, while we're not exactly sure which one of those scenarios is the case, we can just say this, David is in trouble. And so he is offering up this prayer, offering up this song, because that's what these chapters are in the book of Psalm. They are songs. And you'll see here in verse, uh, that the subscript there, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So many might be thinking this morning, oh, well, this would be played with an electric guitar, this particular song. Um, but we'll find out here in a moment that this is actually a night song, one that might have been recited in the evening, so much more of a quieter, uh, subdued tone. Look with me now at Psalm chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We read, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make we dwell in safety. I'm just going to offer a brief prayer. Uh, Father, thank you that we have this psalm of a man that knows what problems are like, that is experiencing trouble. And we have his example before us, inspired of how he is calling out to you in prayer, how he's confronting those people around him that are trying to ruin his reputation, how he reminds them that if we are a child of yours, that we have been set apart. And so I pray that you would use this teaching this morning on holiness to be reminded of us that just as you are set apart, you have asked us to be set apart as well. In Jesus' name, amen. How about just by way of introduction, we'll take a moment and we'll talk about what does holiness mean. I've mentioned this morning that this is the theme of our service, that this is the theme of our message. When you consider the word holiness, and there's two words, one in Hebrew called kodesh, and there's one in Greek called hagias, they really have two definitions. 
that you can't really understand holiness unless you grasp both of these. The first is this, apartness. I'm not even sure that that's a word, but sometimes when you define a word, you make up a word. It means to be separate or sacred. So when we consider this concept of God being holy, what we mean by that is God is unlike anyone else. And when we trace this theme of holiness through the Bible, we see that there are other things that are apart, that are separate, that are sacred. For example, you can think of the temple. This temple was different than any other building that was created at that time. It was to honor the very presence of God. There were priests, holy priests, that were set aside. These men are set apart for a specific purpose to administer sacrifices on behalf of God. We can think of a holy day, the Sabbath, that is unlike any other day throughout the week, a day in which we rest, we might say. Even six days ago, we experienced some sort of a holy or a a different day, July 4th. While not necessarily religious, it is a day that's unlike any other in which we shoot off fireworks. There's other evidences of holiness in the Bible where God calls his own people a holy nation. The Israelites are different than any other group of people. In fact, at times there was ground, soil, that was identified as holy as well. Why? Because God's presence was there. The writers in in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Moses wrote, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Well, 1 Samuel 2, 2, There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. God is different. In fact, there are two different places, one in Isaiah and one in Revelation, where he is identified as holy, holy, holy. The the strongest use of language that could be used. It's a way of saying that God is really separate. He is really apart. He is really sacred. I can remember several years ago when Reggie White played for the Green Bay Packers, and he was, he had wrote a book, and one day he was signing that book. And so I got up really early on a, on a cold winter morning, and I waited in line outside this bookstore. And then I made my way in line and eventually was able to get my book signed. And he was a big man. And I can remember a hand, extending my hand to have him shake it. And as he put his hand out, I lost sight of my hand. I mean, it was, it was a huge hand. And I could say of Reggie at that time, if I were to use to describe him, I would say he is big. Big. He is big. But that's just a little illustration of how big or how holy God really is. So what makes God different than anyone else? Well, he is above all. We use the word sovereign for that. He is all-knowing. Now, many of you in this room think that you know everything. 
But only God is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. He is always active. We call that imminent. He is all-complete. He doesn't lack anything. We call that immutable. And he is all-time. Meaning he has not restrained a past, present, or future. God is different than us. When we say holiness, we mean that he's apart, he is separate, he is sacred. But if we really want to understand holiness, there's a second definition that we need to include as well. And that he is morally pure all the time. No sin. He never lies. He never cheats. He never fails to keep his promises. He never steals. He always acts and speaks in the right way. How would you illustrate God's holiness? Some have said, well, why don't you consider the sun? Now, I would just remind you that every illustration will break down, and this one too will, but for the sake of illustration, like the sun, it is different than other planets. You have planets that have a surface, and the star or the, the sun is actually without a surface. It's just comprised of gases. And we can stand at a distance and value the benefits that come from the sun. It allows things to grow. It brings warmth to our bodies. And if we're honest here in Wisconsin, it even lifts our moods, doesn't it, when we get to see the sun. But if we draw too close to the sun, what will happen? We will burn up, won't we? And because of our sin, and because that we are different than God, as much as we enjoy the kindness and the benefits of God, if we draw too close to His holiness, we too would burn up. In fact, it's been said, and I think it's true, that man's greatest dilemma is how in all of his sinfulness can he enter into a relationship with God in all of his holiness? So, well, with that as our introduction, and we'll get to answer that in a moment, let's consider now Psalm verse or chapter 4, and let's work through this eight verses together. The first thing we see in verse 1 is the prayer. It says here in verse 1, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Again, we're not exactly sure what's driving this desperate prayer, but we know this. He's being pursued, he's in trouble, and he is in adversity. We see that this prayer stands on three different things. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that he is basing this prayer not on his own righteousness, but on the righteousness that God has provided for him. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He is not coming to God based on right living. He is coming to God based on God granting, gifting to him righteousness. The second thing we see here in this verse is that he is basing this prayer on past faithfulness to his other prayers. You see it in verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. 
He's saying, this isn't the only time I've been in distress. This isn't the only time that I've faced troubles before. And in the past, I've appealed to you for your faithfulness, and you've provided relief. And because I've got history with you answering my prayers, I'm coming to you again. There's a good reminder to us, loved ones. Are you facing some trouble today? Don't waste it. Because God wants to teach you more. He wants you to be more like Jesus through that. So that the next trouble that comes your way, you'll be even stronger and more capable and have a track record to endure through it. The third thing he stands on here is it says the last part of verse 1, Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He is honest enough to say, listen, there is nothing within me as I'm calling out in desperation to you. There is nothing worthy within me that would say you have to answer me. So I'm appealing to the grace that you would give me something that I don't deserve. There's a great example to us on how to pray. We see the prayer then in chapter 4, verse 1. Now let us consider the people. Verse 2 says, O men, so he's turning his focus away from God. He's done praying and now he's turning to some men. He says, How long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, who are these men? I think most teachers, Bible teachers, as I've studied this week, have said that they are like landowners. They're like leaders. They are the wealthy. They are the people that well, might know a little bit about what David is going through, but they don't have the insight to know what he's actually going through. And they're doing two different things in verse 2. One, they're seeking to ruin reputation. How long shall you take my honor and turn it into shame? That's what it says there in verse 2. How long will you take my name that God has raised up? And how long will you try to trample it and insult it? The second thing that these people are doing is they are pursuing the pointless. You see it the second part of verse 2. How long will you love vain or empty words and seek after lies. These people, upon hearing the truth, they dismiss it. If it doesn't fit their prearranged conclusion, they don't want to hear it. They hand-select words that fit what they have already decided. So far, what we see here in Psalm chapter 4 is we are seeing this prayer. And note the order. He is faced with a challenge. So the first thing he does is he brings it to God. And after he's done bringing it to God, then he talks to the people. And I think that's a good order. And faced with a challenge, we ought not to go to the people first and then go to God, but go to God first and then talk to the people. And so that leads us then to verse 3, and that is the principle of which we'll park it here for a little while and talk, and that is this. God sets apart the godly for himself. See what it says there in verse 3? As he's speaking to these men, these ones that are chasing after the pointless, the ones that are lying or seeking to trample David's reputation, he says in verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Do you remember what the definition, one of the definitions of holiness was to be set apart, to be sacred, apartness. 
when God saves a person, let's talk a little bit about this. How does holiness work? The first thing as we think about holiness is positional. And that is, God saves us and then sets us apart. It's an instantaneous thing, right? He saves us from our sins and then he sets us apart for himself. And that's what we see here in verse 3. Don't you know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself? Not only is God set apart, but when he saves us, he sets us apart. That's what we celebrate today in, in Miss Anne's life, that God has taken her from where she was, and now he's plucked her out, and he's set her aside for a relationship with him. We see this in the New Testament as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He is speaking of Christians here, the church, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. We've been set apart. Another classic passage for this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We could read verses that follow, but it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? As Christians, we have been set aside. And he uses this illustration of a yoke. Now, what is a yoke? Is that something of an egg? No. It's this. It's a tool that would be used to, to put two oxen together. Oxen the same size, ideally with equal strength, and they could plow fields or, or pull a wagon. But you see in this illustration of a yoke of an oxen and a donkey. How well do you think that that will work? Different animals, different strengths, different heights. It will be an absolute mess. And this is the metaphor that's provided to us that when God has saved us, he has set us apart. And we are not to no longer yoke ourselves to the world that is ungodly, that pursues pleasure, instant gratification, idolatry, sensuality. We were yoked to the world at one time, but now that we have been set apart, who are we to be yoked to? Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. So be set apart. And what are we set apart for? I think this would be really important for us to hear. Here's a good old Puritan named Thomas Goodwin who said this, when God chooseth a man or a woman, he chooseth him for himself for himself to converse with, to communicate himself unto him as a friend, a companion, and his delight. So when we talk about being set apart, what are we set apart for? To enjoy a close relationship with God. I could say this of you, Anne. I could say this of all others, Christians that are here today. God has set you aside for a close relationship. 
This is positional holiness. In fact, we might say that we're a little passive on this because God does all the work in this phase of holiness. But there is another way in which holiness works, and that is a personal holiness. And that is we are to pursue moral purity at all times. And do you see the similarities in the definition of holiness? We are to be separate. God does that work. But then we are to practice this moral purity as God enables through the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we are active in. I remind you what what God said, not only in the Old Testament, but then it was quoted in the New Testament. You shall be holy. For I am holy. Well, the New Living Translation, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. Our lives, that is our thoughts, our words, our actions and attitudes, all of those are to be under the authority of Scripture, the very Word of God. Loved ones, we are to pursue this moral purity in our lives. Now, what does that look like? During Jesus' day, there were people that were religious. I think they were serious about their relationship with God. We might say that they were even serious about holiness. Well, how was it then that they sought to attain holiness? If you think of the Pharisees, what they did is they created lists. Things that they could do and what they couldn't do on the Sabbath. They had something called ceremonial washing. That is, if they were not with Jews, they were with those dirty Gentiles, then they had to make sure that they washed their hands when they returned from the marketplace. They were really good at creating lists. And if they would just adhere to these man-made rules, then they would be right with God. But here's the thing. It's possible for you to make a list, but have your heart far from God. And you know who is just like Pharisees? Baptists. Are we not? I mean, let's just be honest here. We can create our own little list, can't we? I can think back. Now, I wasn't brought up in a Baptist church, but I just know the reputation that we have is people that keep good lists, whether it's playing cards or whether it's smoking cigarettes or whether it's gambling or whether it's music we listen to or Heaven forbid, dancing or whatever, right? And I'm not saying at all that we shouldn't have some safeguards in our life. But what I'm saying is, it is possible for us to make our own little list. And we can honor God with our lips, but our hearts be far from Him. So when the Bible speaks about pursuing holiness, is that what Jesus means as making some list that that address certain behaviors? Or does he mean something much more than that? I think when we look at our context here of Psalm 4, we see in verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. For the Lord hears when I call to him. And then in that context, verse 4, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Well, that Those actions and those attitudes are much different than what we see in verse 2. Because at one time, these men are known for 
turning one's reputation into shame and speaking lies and vain words. Now, if they're truly set apart, they're not going to sin. They'll be quiet. They'll ponder what's going on in their hearts, and they'll be silent. So I think that when we're talking about holiness, personal holiness, we're talking about as a situation, and at one time when I was mastered by sin, this is how I lived. But now I am mastered by God and by His grace. This is how I live. Can I read you a passage? By the way, this personal holiness is what's going to be unpacked all week long when you personally study this this week of ways that it can be applied in your life. I'd like us just to look at a passage. Keep your finger here in Psalm 4. But to give a little clarity on what I mean, or I think what the Bible means by pursuing personal holiness, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 17 through the rest of that chapter because I think it provides a picture of this is how you used to live, but now that you're pursuing holiness and you've been set apart, God's going to give you the grace to live like this. I'm in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 17. I'm just going to read this whole chunk because I think it can be helpful for us. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Now Gentiles in this context is referring to the sinners. No longer walk as they do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the Lord of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as a truth in Jesus. 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Are you seeing it? At one time you lived like this, ruled by sin. That's the old. Take that off and now put on the new self where you are being ruled by God's power, His holiness. So here's some descriptions of that in verses 25 through the rest of the chapter. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the word of truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So at one time, when you spoke, lies came out of your mouth. But now that you've been set apart and you're applying personal holiness, now only speak truth. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. At one time, you were ruled by this selfish, raw anger. There are times where God may give you a righteous anger, and that's okay. But don't sin now that you have been set apart. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. At one time, this person was ruled by sin and laziness. But now that he's been set apart and pursuing personal holiness, he or she is working hard to providing not only for his own needs, but for the needs of others. Verse 28, rather 29, 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. At one time, as we're thinking of holiness, and if we were just to chronicle the words that came out of your mouth, they just brought decay and death. But now that God's holiness is being worked out in your life, you're using your words to build people up. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. At one time when you were hurt, you retaliated. You held a grudge. You became bitter. That's when you were ruled by sin. But now you've been set apart. And God's personal holiness is working through you. Forgive them. Offer grace and kindness towards them. So there is this. How does this holiness work? It's not only positional. It's also personal. Now, if we're working through this passage, we have to ask ourselves here in Psalm 4, how, how is this holiness possible to us? And that is the person. If you've been with us at Highland Crest for, for a good season, then hopefully you are anticipating, okay, we're working through this passage of Scripture, Chad, but when do we get to Jesus? And when do we get to the gospel? Because that's what you should be listening for. And it gets here, right in the middle of this psalm, when we get to verse 5. I mentioned to you at the beginning that man's great dilemma is that how is it a man and a woman that is just full of sin could have any sort of a relationship with God that is consumed by holiness? When we look here at verse 5, we see that we are to offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I mentioned to you that there was a building in the Old Testament that was set apart. It was a holy temple. And this holy temple was set aside as where God's presence would reside, but it would also be where offerings were lifted up to God. Because of man's sin and God's holiness, and because man would be judged for his sin because of God's holiness, there were times where sacrifices or offerings were provided, perhaps a bull or a lamb. And God would pour out his judgment or wrath on that animal and offer forgiveness to that man or that woman. So what we see here in Psalm 4 is if we want to experience this grace or experience this positional holiness and then personal holiness, an offering needed to be made on our behalf. This week, I was reading in uh, Ezekiel Chapter 47. If you're familiar with this Old Testament prophet, then you know that there's a portion in this prophecy about this temple that is being built. And in Ezekiel chapter 47, there's this picture, this vision of the temple, but that water begins to flow from the temple. Not just a little bit. The more that it flows, the deeper and deeper this water gets, where it becomes a wide river. And on both sides of the river, there are trees. And because there is living water coming from the temple, 
these trees begin to flourish and bear wonderful fruit. And as this river flows from the temple into these lakes, these lakes flourish with bountiful fish. That when the fishermen go out and cast their nets, there is fish everywhere. Well, what is this vision all about? I think it's this. There come a time when holiness leaves the temple. And holiness comes to a neighborhood near you where Jesus will come and tabernacle with people or will be with people. And he will go where the people are at. And in their brokenness and death and hopelessness, he will bring refreshing living water to right where you and I are at. How is it that this holiness is possible? It's because Jesus has come to take your place, to die on the cross, to be raised to life three days later. What is our responsibility? It says there in verse 5, to put your trust in the Lord. Only Jesus can save you. And once you do that, you are set apart. And then you are to practice this personal holiness. Let me leave you then with one other thought that we see in this passage. And that is this path. There is the pleasure. The holy path leads to joy. Look at what it says here in verse 7. This is the person, David, that's been set apart. It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. If I were to ask you just to close your eyes, and if I said the word holiness, what would be the first words that come to mind? I wondered if it would be seriousness, or stern, or strict, or no fun, or maybe visions of a a monastery or a monk would come to mind. But what we see here is for those of us that have been set apart positionally and now are pursuing personal holiness, as we go on this path, it is actually a path of joy. While food is presented, while drink is provided, it will provide a momentary pleasure. But joy has an enduring quality that will stay with us. I remind you at the very beginning that David here is in a lot of trouble. He is being pursued. He is experiencing a lot of adversity. But look how this song or this prayer ends. Look at verse 8. He says, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. One might have asked, David, how is it possible that you have people that are pursuing your life? How is it that you could possibly sleep at a moment like this? I think he would have said this based on what we read in these eight verses of Psalm 4. Listen, I brought this to the Lord. I'm appealing to him by the righteousness he's provided for me. He's been faithful in the times that I've prayed with to him before. He's provided me grace He's, he's offered me this opportunity to pray. I not only did that, but then I talked to the people who were causing me trouble. I've been reminded that he has set me apart. 
I'm to pursue this holiness in my own life. Listen, I've done all I can. And now I'm going to bed. And, and God's going to keep working while I'm sleeping. This week has an opportunity for you, those of you who will follow along with this path of holiness, to be a great week, to be reminded of how you have been set apart. But not only this, the material is going to provide for us a very systematic view of opportunities for us to say, am I really living this personal holiness out? I will tell you that of all of the, the exercises and inventories we've done throughout the summer, I've, I've done more lead, meaning I've done this with a pencil, uh, on these inventories than any other week because it's been very convicting. But this is where I'm at in my life. I want to be convicted. I, I want to know God. And I think you do too. So if you have not started on this journey, or maybe you've started and, and have slacked a bit, I want to urge you this week to really pick up. And maybe you're just passing through, and you're like, well, is there a way? I don't, I don't know that I need a book. I've actually printed out a handout. It's got front and back. And we talk about putting on, putting off. If you're a child of God, you've been set apart, and you want to know, how can I pursue this personally? Here's a handout. This book, or this stuff is on the front row up here. You can grab one of these yourself. And I think we're instructed to not only go through this once, look up the verses that will convict us, go through it again, that the Lord will work out this personal holiness in my life. There's a wonderful quote here by D.L. Moody. He said this, A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. And may your life shine in the holiness of God. Let's pray. Father, as we have gone through this morning and just begun to scratch the surface of what holiness means to be separate, to be apart, to be sacred. I'm asking myself and I'm asking the people in the room this morning or maybe viewing online or hearing this later, is that true of your life? Is it very evident by the way you are living right now that you are not yoked to the world, but you are yoked to Jesus? I just want you to answer that question. And if, and if it's really clear that you are not, then just take time right now just to repent. Acknowledge that. Be specific. In, in what areas are you not experiencing this set-apart life? And then I would just, I would follow up with another question and, And as you think about your life right now, how much does the holiness really matter to you? And if it doesn't matter to you, why don't you confess that too? And I think it does to many of you. So would you be willing just to say, God, this week, I want to be a a daughter, a son of yours 
that really learns about this holiness and, and just begins to grapple with these areas of, of sin that I've, I'm holding on to. And by the grace that we learned about last week that not only saved us, but then is enabling us to, to live out the Christian life, I want to apply that grace to do the hard things to where there's a bad, sinful habit, to apply it, where there's a rut of a way that I continually respond, my attitude, my words that come out of my mouth, my actions. Oh, Lord, where am I sinning here? I want, I want to apply the grace of God in that. It could be this morning that you have never trusted Christ. You've never been saved. You've heard of Anne's story today. And you're saying, that's precisely what I need right where you're at today. You could place your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins. He is the offering that was provided on your behalf that you might know God and to live for him. Would you call out to him and ask for him to save you right now? Oh, Father, what a, what a blessing to be able to open up the Bible to see how it speaks to us right here in July of 2022. And now give us the grace to apply it and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.